It's time for the movie raid, and tonight's victim is John Harrison, writer, composer, director, producer, everything else, who's done many films. Isn't that right, John? I'll do anything for a buck. Anything for a buck! Right now. <laughs> He's on the free agent list right now. The other way of putting it is I get bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway. It's good to see you, man. It's good to talk to you. Oh, yeah. Uh, this He's done. Creep Show, uh, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, Book of Blood by Clive Barker, based on the book. Yep. Uh, God. Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> Many more. So what's going on? Well, nothing much. I'm sitting out here in California trying to hang on to the wreckage, you know, keep things going. It's always a struggle to, to get movies made, especially these days. Uh, television shows, too. But uh, I love what I do, so... Uh, and I really don't know how to do anything else, so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> but since there's so many uh, occupations, uh, what unique thing do you think you've learned from all these? You know, I, I never set out to be a jack-of-all-trades. Um, it just kind of happened that way because of where I came up and the time period that I came up in. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, back in those days, uh, there was a real kind of, independent filmmaking. I never went to film school. I came up in Pittsburgh. I went to theater school for a while, and uh, when I came back to Pittsburgh, George was there, and the uh, PBS station in Pittsburgh was doing a lot, of, a lot of production, and I had two very, very good friends, and we put our own little company together. And like kids today, we just uh, started doing projects on our own because that's what we wanted to do. And uh, you couldn't hire people, so we had to do everything. And I had been a musician for a long time. That's how I I ended up getting into scoring the stuff that I was doing when you needed actors, so uh, I had a little bit of theater training, and I would do that, and you just taught yourself everything. It was the greatest film school in the world, because you just had to do it, and that's kind of how I put on all these different hats, but I guess in retrospect, if I look back on it, I would say that each one of them, in their way, is a uh, an element of storytelling, and so I guess overall I would consider that my my lot in life as a storyteller. And I've used music to do it, I've written scripts to do it, and I've acted in films to do it, and I've directed to do it. So um, I, I think if, they, if that's the umbrella that that I've kind of worked on, it's all good. Now, as far as the the, the composing before then, uh, was it pretty difficult to actually release your stuff? Well. I had worked as a as a musician in bands for many, many years. I was a professional musician for most of my life before I actually decided, you know, I wasn't going to be a Rolling Stone and, you know, 70 years old. So I, uh, and I always wanted to be in the film business. I, I loved movies since I was a little kid. I wanted to get involved in it, but I was actually on the road as a musician for a while and had some success with the bands that I was in, most notably this uh, fabulous guitarist named Roy Buchanan. And so we had a couple of albums out. But my own personal stuff, I had never really thought of doing it as, uh, as, a, as a profession. I kind of fell into it because of my association with George Romero. And uh, as I said, I had a small film production company in Pittsburgh at the same time he had his. And there was a lot of, it was a small town, and so there was a lot of interconnectivity there. And when he started doing his films, my friends and I started working with him. And um, at one point, he had heard some of my music for some other things that I was doing. And uh, when it came time to do Creep Show, which is the first score I did with him, he said, well, you're the one with the piano, so you do the music. <laughs> 
and that's that's kind of how it started. So uh, we uh, we just kind of ended up working together. Fortunately, that movie was uh, a hit, and it was released nationally. So that got me uh, an album deal to get the music out wider, and we got a, a score deal. And then Day of the Dead came along after that, and then Tales from the Dark Side, the movie after that, and so one thing led to the next. And I had made some acquaintances with people in the business at that point, and they wanted the scores to come out. So uh, I suppose without that association of George in the beginning, um, who knows what would have happened. Maybe nobody would have ever heard anything that I did. Well, you never know. There's always someone out there listening for something, even if, yeah. even if they don't know who you are. Well, that's the biggest problem, isn't it? You know, I, there are a lot of great... Uh, back in the day, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have the web, we didn't have anything where you could sort of self-distribute. It all had to be manufactured somehow, and that was a pretty expensive proposition. On the other hand, even today, all the young composers and people that are doing music in their own homes with their computers and their own gear, of which there's so much great stuff out there now, um, it's still a matter of how do you get it to the audience? How do you cut through the noise of everybody else that's trying to do it? Um, it's just uh, one of those things. You you hope you're coming up with something unique, but you also have to realize you have to market it to some extent. You have to get it out there. Yeah. And that's something that uh, that we all have to kind of learn by trial and error, mostly. Uh, it's it's an old remedy, but it's been going on from countless upon countless years. Uh, you know, since the old days when bands started happening. Well, yeah, you know, it's really funny. I listen to bands now because. When I was coming up, there was a period of time where uh, albums became the way everybody... You went on tour to sell your albums, because that's where you made your money. Yep. Now, people put out an album so they can support their tours, because that's where you're making your money. So you got to go back on the road, That's which is the way it used to be <laughs> with musicians, you know? Mm-hmm. Play. You had to play all over the place to make money. Um, then there was that little brief period of time, late 60s, 70s, 80s, where you could just put out albums and make a lot of money but <clears throat> it's not like that anymore no a lot of bands now uh, become even when it comes to a big single then eventually comes into a film it's actually played in a film and then later on released onto a soundtrack but it also kind of kicks out the composer itself because half the soundtrack is more likely uh, rock bands well that's that is a trend that has been going on for a little while now, and it yeah. really, you're right. Uh, the licensing of music and, and finding sort of the new hip thing. Um, but I'm still a traditionalist. I like scored movies. Um, there's definitely a place, and there are directors who really know how to do it for using songs, for using bands. Um, and, uh, you know, like Scorsese is a master at this, but uh, I like... I like scores. I like composers that work with directors and create a rapport and really get under the skin of what the director's trying to do. And the score itself, it fits the mood of the scene of whatever film you're watching, regardless if it's horror, regardless if it's some chick flick. You're brought into that by listening to that score rather than listening to you know some pop singer that just came out and it's like 15 years old. <laughs> no doubt, man. I mean, how many melodies can we think of that if we sung them to each other, we would know the movie and probably the scene from which they came instantly. You know, you think of great, great soundtracks and scores from Hitchcock movies or from Spielberg movies or from, you know, uh, classic movies. You, you, Godfather. I mean, you hear that music instantly. You know which which movie it's from. It reminds you of the movie. You see the movie. Yeah, it makes you want to go back and watch the movie. And plus, <laughs> and if you don't have the movie, right. go out and buy it. There you go. There's marketing right there. And even if you can't, you can listen to the score and you can almost see the movie in your head. Yeah, or go online. 
<laughs> with film scores, it's just it almost seems a little bit dying in a way because that's all you ever see in all, all these soundtracks now. It's just basically rock bands or whatever bands are mixed bands, and uh, I mean some of them do fit well with the scene, but a lot of them are like more action based, more like cop shows or something like that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there will always be original scores. Uh, I think it depends on the movie too. If the movie is about say, the age group where that where that music appeals, or it's about that scene, well, then it's appropriate. But I mean, I think people who are going to make even some of the big comic book movies, no, you can't score those with uh, you know Metallica. No, you got to have uh, Zimmer do it. <laughs> Yeah, just have Hans Zimmer do it. He's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it just seems kind of like a problematic with that because, I mean, it goes back to the marketing way. Do you think it, it, that could be the problem as well? Well, I think marketing is the problem only because uh, if you're trying to get the soundtrack out there, if you've got original music you're trying to get out to people, um, you have to figure out a way to... Uh, I, I think there are a lot of venues to get it out there. As I, you know, we were talking about the web a little bit ago, and, and uh, you can certainly uh, distribute it that way to a pretty wide audience, which was not available to us even 10 years ago. There is so much of it out there. <clears throat> you got to figure out, well, how do you get it how do you get it seen? Now, I think for people who want to score for film, that's a different that's a different operation altogether. That really is how do you how do you get together with the filmmaker? And so the filmmaker really wants you to collaborate with him. Yeah. But I think it is. It's like a, it is a collaboration. Um, unless you're going to do a score just by simply buying buying and licensing tunes, and there are people that do that. I mean, if 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 that's what you're interested in, if you're a uh, if you've got a band, if you're a songwriter, and you're writing some songs, and you'd love to have them get into the hands of filmmakers as potential use in their film, then there are companies that will do that for you. Um, but uh, otherwise, if you're serious about scoring you, you got to really find the filmmaker to work with and that can be the guy that uh, is just trying to do his own little independent film and that's how you get started or it's uh, by putting cues together with uh, scenes and getting them in the hands of uh, people that you know are in the business yeah and sometimes it could bite you in the ass because when you make a composition like that just a couple of lyrics sometimes that song if it's like let's say if it's a seven minute song it'll only be played for 30 seconds or less well that's <laughs> In the film, you mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you listen on the soundtrack, wait, man, you know, it's still 30 seconds. No. <laughs> well, then you got to hope that the uh, film is a big hit and they put a soundtrack album out. Oh, and then, uh, even that could bite you in the ass, too, because, oh, wait a minute, now the soundtrack is like a dollar now. And the film was like less than 50 cents. Oh. <laughs> it's a, you got to be in it for the long haul. Because um, it's uh, not a not a business to get rich quick, that's for sure. But if you love it, then the doing of it is by itself almost is a is a certain amount of pleasure. Oh yeah, that whole uh, hard work always pays off, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint, as the cliche goes. On, on the financial side, what would you recommend to be the best way from all the projects you've done? What would you say would be the best recommendation to, to not basically uh, be bankrupt? Well, I'm not sure exactly what you mean. You mean in terms of production? In terms of production. Well, gee, man, there are so many tools out there. <laughs> there's so much you can do, but I know you've done so much, and I know there's so many things you do, but, but, but basically your opinion in a way. Well, I think the, the availability of gear that you can make really pretty sophisticated demos, uh, the cost of all that stuff has come down. You know, you get a good workstation, whether it's a Korg or a Yamaha or something like that, and, and there are some good ones out there that you can get for not a lot of money um, or get a used one. You know, there are some great old machines 
that maybe don't have all the bells and whistles, but man, they have great. I still have my Prophet Five, you know, and that that's a 1980s machine, and it's it's a fantastic machine. But I think with the computer programs that you can get that are relatively easy to use and have have some good stuff in them, you can make pretty pretty sophisticated demos right away. If if you get to the next stage where the production value has to be a lot higher because it's a it's a bigger movie or, or something like that. Then the production company will will help pay uh, through their fee to you, <clears throat> either for the studio time or for more sophisticated production. But um, you know, it's it's kind of a great time to be doing all this stuff because when I was coming up, we didn't have any of that stuff. I had I bought a four track quarter inch tape recorder and I had a, a little tiny mixer. Uh, I'll tell you, this is how I did Day of the Dead, for example. I had my profit, and I had, well, that was pretty much it. I had a Lynn drum machine, and uh, I moved into a room below George's editing bay, and I had my little four-track set up. So I would go up, and I'd watch a scene with him, then I'd go downstairs, and I'd crank out some stuff. And I would, uh, I had a four-track, so I could overdub, and I could I could layer some stuff, and came up with a with an okay temp of, say, a cue. I'd run it upstairs, we'd transfer it to Mag, and this is back in the days of film, and uh, we would put it up on the flatbed and watch the picture. And that, that was the way I scored the whole movie. Once that was done, and we had locked the picture, then I, uh, I went into the studio, the recording studio, and I had my temp tracks, and I basically recreated them in the studio. But by then, we knew what the cues were going to be, and I was, I was working on my, my fee by that point, so uh, I could afford to go into the studio. And then we recorded it in a professional recording studio with professional gear and all the bells and whistles and a great engineer. I took those back to the mix stage, and that's what you see in the picture now. You could do what I did so much easier now than I could then because everything's digital and you can do it on your you know your mac ibook pro you know your macbook pro i mean or whatever whatever machine you're doing so i think in a way i'm not saying it's easier but uh, financially it, it probably is a little bit easier today speaking of digital everything else is going digital as far as music goes and everything else i mean basically anybody can get it straight from the film before it even gets shown <laughs> <laughs> and and then look you get it down and realize that it's a temp, and then uh, you you know you call your friends in and uh, say uh, you know you're the guitarist, come on in and just do this uh, this bit for me, or you know the the horn section if you've got any you know people like that. And then you can augment what you've got. I, I'm not going to say it's easy because you still got to sit down and write it. <laughs> yeah. But I think the I think you can do it independently today and uh, do it economically. Yeah. You think it's best for independent? Well, look. Let's be honest. If if you're talking about big budget Hollywood movies, you've got to be out here and in the game and knowing the studios and them knowing you, because the uh, the commitment of money is just too much for people to to sort of risk unless you have that connection. Now there are a lot of ways you can do that. A lot of a lot of composers come out. A lot of a lot of guys that have studied scoring or went to music school and so where they come out and they work as assistants for other composers for a while. Then they get a shot because the guy says, "Here, you take this cue or you do this arrangement." And you work your way up like that. So if you're talking about movies, you know, the mega movies of Warner Brothers or Sony or whoever, um, you got to come out and get into that game. However, before you do that, if, if you're working with filmmakers in your own hometown that are making YouTube videos or are uh, trying to put together their first little uh, independent feature, with their, which they're going to shoot it with a D5 camera and they're going to do it with their, you know, the local actors and, and their own script and so forth, man, that's what 
we used to do. That's what we used to do in Pittsburgh, and that's how we learned. And uh, I would encourage anybody who's who loves film music and wants to do it to uh, jump at any of those chances. There's no money in it, but that's not the point. No, that's always later. <laughs> that's always later. The point is, you get, the, you do it, you learn the experience, and then you got something that you can show. Then you say, "I scored this movie," and then yeah, you can show it. Yeah, it's just like it always come later. If you just jump into it and expect the money first, chances are you're not going to make a lot of great films at all, or anything in general, regardless of what you're in. Yeah, because you don't. You need to. You need to kind of work your way up. You need to learn the craft. And uh, I think, to some extent, <clears throat> today is a great time to be doing it because the the gear to make the movie is so much more accessible than it ever was before. We, my partners and I made our first little movie for $55,000 on 16 millimeter. We had to go and we had to beg it and borrow it, you know, from friends and neighbors and get everybody to invest in it. And it was a long process because we were shooting on film, we were editing on film. We had a little company that we did commercials and industrials to pay the rent. And in our spare time, we did the movie. Well, now you can you can get a really good high-definition camera for not a lot of money and put a crew together, get a good guy that knows some good music and he's got some gear, and you can you can make a pretty sophisticated film. Yep. And then, of course, the, the whole market-wise... Uh Certain aspects, some go are good and some are bad, but usually, yeah, stick it on YouTube or something, or have iTunes, but don't, don't stick the whole thing up there for sample, man. I see a lot of bands do that, too. Sure, sure. It's like, okay, uh, no one bought it yet? No. Well, then don't sample the whole thing. Oh, it's already... <laughs> yeah. You sample the whole album, but yet your your intention wants to sell at least one or two tracks. Or at least sample one or two tracks, but don't put the whole album up there because then you automatically don't have any money, period. Yeah, you got to get it out. And, and you've got to just get it out there. And uh, you know, I am not, by the way, very sophisticated with all the social networking that goes on, but I see this in every aspect of it, whether it's uh, people trying to get their own work out there whether it's a book that they've written or a script that they've written or a music uh, album that they've put together. Uh, there's a whole way of promoting it with social network that I'm not sophisticated enough to advise anybody about. <laughs> <laughs> I know that people are doing it. Oh, yeah. But, you know, since the whole political train has been coming and going, do you think in the future the film industry might actually be uh, hurted by this in a way, like deteriorated, or do you already think it's kind of deteriorated a little bit? Well, it's completely changed, um, <clears throat> and I don't really know where it's going. I think that it's going to be the younger generations are going to really redefine it. There are several aspects to that. I mean, the big business of movie making has crowded out a lot of smaller movies because it just doesn't make sense for them economically, or at least they don't think so. They'd rather risk $150 million or $200 million with the hope that uh, it's going to be a blockbuster and it's going to return a half a million or a billion dollars ultimately in, in gross revenues. So it's a real shame, but when you run into people and they say, well, you know, that movie's only going to cost $25 million. I don't know whether it's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, okay, that tells you something. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're making something at the real low end or the real high end, there's a good chance of success. Who knows? If you make a movie for $15,000, it might turn out to be paranormal activity. And yeah. then, you you know, then you're launched. So I think the mid-range is, is really lost. I think there's a lot of great work being done on television right now that's kind of replaced all that. So where it's going from here, I wouldn't, I don't think I'm smart enough to know because the media that people are using now to consume 
uh, entertainment. Uh, you can watch the same thing on your iPad or on your computer, or you can TiVo it, or you can Netflix it, or you can... I mean, it's all changing. It's not the same patterns that it used to be. No, I mean, but it also go back again to the marketing. Now, you get the newer horror films, you get the newer chick flicks, newer cop films. Right. And, uh, I mean, it just, when you watch it, you see, wow, it is new, but it's got that new type feeling. It's almost like uh, buying something new, out, like a new stereo out of a box. It's like, you know, it's new, but uh, what's so great about it? Well, that's it. And so, I mean, the good things will really emerge. You know, we forget that back in the days when there wasn't television, they used to make hundreds of movies a year. Hundreds of movies. And people would go to see them. Well, we can't remember most of those movies. We think about Golden Age. What we think about are all the great movies we can remember that are, you know, the classics. But there were hundreds of others. There's a lot of that today. There's a lot of stuff being thrown out there. And sooner or later, really good stuff is going to emerge. In a way, we also need to get some of these companies to actually release some of these films onto CD. Yeah, there are. People have discovered that. They know that they can do that. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge Val Luton fan. Um, those classic 40s horror movies like Cat People and Island of the Dead and Bedlam and all those movies, and they just issued a new collector set of all those movies, which haven't been available for years, and man, it was, it was great. Oh, yeah. Uh, then there's small companies like Synapse out of Detroit, which are constantly putting out um, uh, smaller movies. Anchor Bay is still in business, so there are a lot of people that are finding ways to get the material out there. And, uh, you know, aside from the big studios. In a way, for the studio itself or, or the company, they make a couple bucks off of that because, you know, they finally get to release it after 10, 20 years later. I mean, the, like Night of the Creeps. Night of the Creeps, yeah. Night of the Creeps exactly. is on CD. That released several years ago on CD. I have it, and it's awesome. And they even have the original ending on it. Oh, really? Yeah, by the actual maker of the film actually said that he will only put it on DVD if you uh, uh, include the original, original ending. ending. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great thing. And, of course, what, what happens then is that the, that spawns interest in the scores. So then they re-release the, the soundtracks. They've done that with Day of the Dead and Creepshow, my scores. And uh, it's been wonderful because then they're out there. Now everybody's so busy trying to get the number one film of the year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're so busy doing that. It's like you don't stop and actually appreciate what was made back then. I mean, without these type films, there wouldn't be these films. Well, I think that's true. I mean, I love classic films. I love old films that were influential on me. And I like having the library of them because I like to go back. No, and it's not always about the CGI. It's not always about having that kind of high expectations for a film. And you can still enjoy a film, even if, if even if it doesn't have a lot of blood and gore. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was just using Val Luton as an example. I mean, those movies have no blood and gore. They're no. all about suspense. I mean, even The Exorcist, I, I mentioned this before, even The Exorcist, hardly, or April Fool's Day, no gore. Yeah, yeah. Well, no real gore, I should say. No, like, blood splatting all over, the, all over the wall. I mean, even that, now these days, that's kind of a little over, uh, overdone a bit. Because, I mean, the anatomy, it's like, okay, you cut someone's neck, and then suddenly we got a river of blood? <laughs> well, I mean, some of the some of the gags that uh, Tom Savini and Greg Nicotero pulled off in Creepshow Day of the Dead, Tales from the Dark Side, um, you know, they, they have a quality them, yes, indeed, they definitely have a quality. Uh, that's uh, definitely got great work with that. But I mean, like what they have now, and now it's quote torture porn, I should say. Mm-hmm. Those type films. Now it's like, okay, well, let's just cut them up for no reason. Why are you killing this guy? What do you do? 
Is he just a victim? What? Yeah, I'm not a fan of that kind of stuff. Um, I've always liked more archetypal movies, uh, you know, creature features, that kind of stuff. You know, I guess there's a market for it. Yeah, but anyway, it's like animatronics, uh, puppets, uh, they're kind of slowly getting kicked out because you got the CGI. It's almost in a way with, with the composer, with the soundtracks, you, you hear nothing but the bands, which is great for a promotion of the bands, of course, and they deserve that. But there's also the composer, too, that contributed his work, too. Include that somewhere in there, but that's just how it is these days. But in a way, the film industry is a little bit deteriorated. It is completely different, the whole uh, money thing, but now it's really all about the money and getting this out first. But you know, that may change. Who knows who's going to be the, the genius that's going to come up with the new original series, which you won't even get from the studios, or you won't even watch on ABC or NBC. You'll just get it directly, because you've heard about it, and you'll subscribe to it directly from your iPad or your iPhone or your computer or whatever. It'll be a whole new way of delivering stories and, and, and movies and TV ideas. I think that that's coming. We just haven't quite figured it out yet. I have a feeling it will happen, because I think, you know, I watch... I watch younger people and how they consume media, and that's uh, it's a whole different deal. I love movies, and I'll always go to the movie theater, and I think, though, I, I don't want to predict the death of movies because I don't think that's ever going to happen. People love going into a dark room with a bunch of other people and seeing cool movies. I would love to see more theaters, at least out here, to have actual theaters to play the older films instead of just the same ones that only what they're provided with. The new ones, of course. Yeah, I don't know. That whole business is a very tough, a very tough business. Yeah, I mean, because that stu that studio closed down, and then you got someone else who picked it up, and then they can't release it because someone else bought the. Oh <laughs> yeah, there's all that too. Yeah, yeah all that absolutely. legal shit. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. Do you have anything else happening right now? Well, I'm doing a lot of writing. I've been spending a lot of time developing a couple of new projects that I'd love to get off the ground, and I have some people that, that are interested in a few of them. I'm working with a couple of companies on some film projects. I'm working with some companies on a couple of TV ideas. I have been, for the past three seasons, directing this uh, TNT show called Leverage, which is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I know the producers really well. They're friends of mine, and I love the cast and I love the crew, and uh, so that's been fun. But it's very difficult to get a movie made these days. It's tough to get the money, especially independently, because no matter how you slice it, even if you're doing a low-budget movie, which these days is like $5 million and under or something like that, that's still a lot. Of, that's not chump change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to it's hard to get people committed and it takes Book of Blood for example which I did 2 years ago. We had that script for a while and it took it took forever to get the money together to get it made. And uh, we finally did and I credit the my producers from London for doing it. They got it together. It took a couple of years for them to cobble it together. Yeah. I mean it's tough with just TV shows, but TV now, TV shows are just booming now. You got so many interesting ones, and you got so many reality ones. But then again, that's a very competitive business, too. It is. Well, it's not cheap either. No. The cost of a TV show these days is upwards of $3 million. Especially the actors of a certain well-known actor, or more than one well-known actor. Oh, that's a million dollars. And then the act, the regular actor just gets like, what, let's say uh, 20000 Yeah. It's very competitive, too. A lot of people, you're absolutely right, there's a lot of great television being made, and so that attracts big talent. Because they see it as a place where you can do a lot of the stuff that you can't sell to the movies anymore. No. Really good drama, and, you know, I'm hopeful. I, I, I like it because there is good stuff being made that, you know, just encourages me to hang in. 
Yeah, you're always going to see that stuff. You're always going to see reality. You're, you're going to see everything, basically, that you've been seeing for the past, uh, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead and plug in any web addresses, any projects that you're are doing or about to release. Uh, I can't say right now that there's anything that's imminent. I would hope within the next year, in 2013, there will be a couple of things. I'm writing a project with a pretty pretty famous director right now, which I'm hoping he'll get made in 2013. I've got a, uh, a new supernatural thriller called Residue, which um, I'm creating with the British producers that brought up Book of Blood, and I'm hoping that we're kind of deciding what we're going to do with that. We may, we may try to make it as a web series. Um, there has been some talk about that. I'm working with uh, Tim Kring, the creator of Heroes, on a new idea, which may see the light of day in 2013 so i got some things i got some balls in the air i just hope i can keep them in the air yeah <laughs> but before we go that he also played as the screwdriver zombie <laughs> and all the dead that's right yeah uh, i still can't hear out of that ear by the way. <laughs> <laughs> how'd you end up being a zombie in there anyway well that's a funny story as i told you earlier george and i were friends back in pittsburgh during the day i was not involved in dawn of the dead i was doing uh, other things at the time and i had my own little production company we all knew each other and everything and he called me up one day and he said listen man i got a continuity error can you come out and do a gag for me it'll take just a couple of hours but it'll solve a problem i have i said okay so i came out to the mall where we were shooting and the uh, the scene if you know it is scotty reininger running through the mall and he gets attacked by what he what we all think is just a store mannequin but it's actually a zombie. Well, in the one shot he's running, he's got a sweater on, and in the other shot when he's running away, he doesn't have it on. It was just a continuity error, so George needed my gag to get the sweater off him. So I come out there and I said, look, George, I, I'd love, I want to do this, but I got a, an early morning meeting with the president of a local bank, because I'm trying to sell him a commercial. <laughs> so I really can't be here all night. He said, no, man, it'll be fine. So I sit down in the chair, Savini puts the makeup on, it's 10 o'clock. Oh, you'll be out of here by midnight. Okay, great. It's 1 o'clock. It's 2 o'clock. <laughs> Finally, they get to me around 3 o'clock. We go out, we do the gag. <clears throat> they shove a screwdriver in my ear and fill it up. It was like one of those retractable things, and they fill it up with blood, and all of a sudden it's gushing out of my ear, and I'm dead. Okay, great, it worked. That's a wrap. So I rush home, have enough time to hop in the shower, and then run downtown to meet this president of a bank and pitch him my idea for this commercial. So he's sitting there, and I'm talking to him, and he's looking at me really weird. And uh, he says, uh, are you all right? I said, well, yeah, yeah, what's wrong? He says, well, you got blood coming out of your ear. They <laughs> <laughs> hadn't cleaned it. I hadn't gotten it all off, so I'm sitting there pitching him, this guy in a suit and his executive offices, and I'm pitching him. I said, oh, well, that's because somebody stuck a screwdriver in my ear last night. <laughs> We got the job, though. But uh, anyway, it's kind of classic because I've had people out here in California recognize me for the screwdriver zombie on the street. It's really uncanny. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's how we do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's John Harrison. Hey, man, it's been my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. Oh, yeah.